0: The next item of business is First Minister's questions. I intend taking both constituency and general supplementaries after question 2. So please press during question 2 for such a supplementary and I'll take supplementaries to questions 3 to 6 as they arise. So please press during the relevant question and if we have any time in hand following question sticks I'll take outstanding
1: questions and I call Douglas
0: Ross question number 1.
1: Thank you presiding officer. Last week, I raised the crisis in Scotland's ambulance service. I said that these scandalous waiting times could cost people's lives. This morning, we all read in shock and horror about 65 year old Gerard Brown, who died after a 40 hour wait for an ambulance. When the paramedics reached him, all they could do was pronounce him as dead. His body was still warm. His son, Dylan, said the hardest part to accept was that his father's GP had told him that if they got to him, your dad would still be here. Just think about that. Being told if they got to him, your dad would still be here. So what does the First Minister have to say to ambulance crews who turn up to try and save people's lives only to pronounce them as dead? What does the First Minister have to say to Gerard Brown's GP, who said, this is third-world medicine? What does the First Minister have to say to Dylan Brown, who is grieving the death of his father, who should still be alive? First
0: Minister,
2: well, firstly, my uh, condolences are with Mr. Brown. Um, the individual cases that are reported in the media this morning obviously require to be fully and properly investigated, um, and it would not be uh, right for me to preempt uh, those investigations. But what is reported is unacceptable, um, and I am in no doubt about that. And. Uh, As I said last week, our ambulance service is working under acute pressure right now, uh, largely due to COVID. Uh, I want to take the opportunity to thank our paramedics and technicians for the work they are doing in such difficult circumstances. While they are responding heroically to these challenges, I recognise that some people are not getting the standard of service that they should be getting or indeed the standard of service that the Scottish Ambulance Service wants to deliver. That is not acceptable, and I apologise unreservedly to anyone who has suffered or who is suffering unacceptably long waits. A range of actions have already been taken to address these challenges, for example, additional funding to support new recruitment. Uh, a number of additional actions are currently under active consideration. I'm happy to summarise these in further exchanges, but I can confirm uh, now that this includes consideration of seeking targeted military assistance to help deal with short-term pressure points. Uh, Such military assistance is already being provided to ambulance services in England and, of course, we have had military assistance for other aspects of the pandemic over the past 18 months. Uh, I will be meeting personally with the Scottish Ambulance Service to assess their progress on all of the actions that are being considered, and the Health Secretary will be making an update uh, statement to Parliament next week. Uh, This is a service under acute pressure. I think people understand the reasons for that pressure, but the obligation uh, is on government to work with the service to ensure that it can meet those pressures in the interests of patients across the country.
1: Douglas Ross. The First Minister says these cases will be fully and properly investigated. But this shouldn't be happening in Scotland in twenty twenty one. When I raised concerns about people dying waiting for an ambulance last week, it was met with groans from the SNP backbenches, and the First Minister didn't answer. Since then, every day we have heard of tragic, life-threatening waits for ambulances. Like an eighty-six-year-old woman who lay in agony. On a hard kitchen floor for eight hours with a broken hip. Just this morning, Evelyn from Kilwinning called a phone-in to raise a 23-hour wait for an ambulance for her husband. She thinks that eventually, and these are her words, their luck is just going to run out. Last week, the First Minister wouldn't accept that ambulance service is in crisis. Surely the last seven days have changed her mind. Will she now accept that the ambulance service in Scotland is in crisis first minister
2: I, I do not challenge in any way shape or form at uh, the extent of the the pressure uh, that is on our ambulance service uh, and indeed on all parts of our national health service it is incumbent on me as first minister with uh, all of my colleagues across government to support the service as it faces up to these challenges. These challenges are largely caused by the COVID pressure, which is increasing uh, the overall degree of pressure that our health services uh, are under. It is uh, my responsibility to deal with these challenges in Scotland, obviously, but these are challenges mirrored in health services across the UK and indeed many parts of the world because of the realities of COVID, uh, the uh, fact that anyone in our country uh, waits an unacceptable period of time for an ambulance when they need urgent care is not acceptable to me, and it's not acceptable to anyone. And that is why we will work closely and intensively with the ambulance service to support it to meet those challenges, which I would expect to continue for a period uh, as the COVID pressure continues and, of course, as we go into the winter months. Um, I set out last week uh, some of the actions that we have already taken, uh, significant additional funding to support significant extra recruitment of paramedics and technicians in our ambulance service. Uh, We are uh, currently with the ambulance service considering a range of additional actions, more support for... Uh, Rural ambulance stations, uh, alternative transport arrangements for lower risk patients to uh, make sure that the ambulance service resource is there for higher risk patients. Uh, The deployment, for example, of more hospital ambulance liaison officers to help the transfer from ambulance to hospital and, indeed, the discharge and temporary admission wards to, again, uh, ease that uh, bottleneck that is existing right now uh, between ambulances and our hospitals. And As I said earlier on, uh, we will consider uh, seeking targeted military assistance. Um, I do not in any way uh, underestimate the extent of the challenge uh, facing the ambulance service, and by extension, people across Scotland. Uh, This is the latest uh, in a number of significant challenges posed to us as a result of this pandemic. Our responsibility is to take the action, to support the service, to meet that challenge, and that's what I am focused on, that's what the Health Secretary is focused on, and it is what the entire government is focused on.
1: Douglas Ross. I listened really carefully, and, and the First Minister, it seems, deliberately didn't accept that this was a crisis. This is this, well, this was the second week in a row I have asked this, and it is important that we recognise this is a crisis, because admitting it matters. So I hope the First Minister will stand up and admit it, because it then means that the government can start looking for help in tackling the problem. She's mentioned considering the targeted military assistance. That was a call from the Unite Union. And they are also asking for the ambulance service to declare excuse me, a major incident status, uh, and we support those calls. But what about the Scottish Government? Hamza Youssef's response is to tell people to think twice before they call an ambulance. Think twice! before they call an ambulance. That is dangerous and it is reckless. Will the First Minister apologise and withdraw those remarks on behalf of the Scottish Government? And will she tell people they should never think twice about calling an ambulance in an emergency?
0: First Minister.
2: I think what people uh, are looking to me for and to the government for is the action to deal with the situation we face. I think that's more important than what we choose to call it. I am not trying in any way uh, to evade the reality that we are currently experiencing, and it is our frontline health workers who are experiencing it, probably the most challenging combination of circumstances That or or at least one of the most challenging combination of circumstances that our health service has faced since its establishment. So there is uh, no sense in which I am seeking to underplay that at all. Uh, Douglas Ross uh, said that the ambulance service should declare a major incident. Uh, Let me just explain that the ambulance service operates uh, at different levels of escalation. It is currently operating at level four of its escalation plan, which is the highest level. So again, Terminology here uh, shouldn't be allowed to mask the reality. This is an ambulance service operating at its highest level of escalation. It is, for example, deploying a national command and control centre as part of that uh, to better utilise resources Across the country. Uh, And we will continue to consider uh, all ways in which uh, we can utilise and deploy additional resources. And some of what we are uh, currently considering with the ambulance service, I've already set out. Uh, Let me finally turn to uh, the uh, comments of the Health Secretary. What what the Health Secretary was saying uh, is things that Health Secretaries have said uh, for many times. I remember saying it myself when I was Health Secretary. I've seen comments from Uh, Ambulance services in every part of the UK uh, over the last few days saying exactly the same thing, which is uh, where people uh, require uh, intervention from the health service that would would better come from parts of the service other than the ambulance service, then we should encourage them to do that. Where Where people consider that they need an ambulance, they should never hesitate in calling an ambulance if that is the intervention they think is required. And as First Minister, let me be very clear, the ambulance service is there to provide emergency assistance to those who need it. It is facing the most intense challenges, and some people are not getting the service that they should be. But the answer to that is for government and the service uh, to work to make sure that they are meeting that so that anybody who needs an ambulance uh, doesn't feel that they should hesitate to phone an ambulance and uh, just as importantly that they get the ambulance timidly as they have a right to expect.
1: Douglas Ross. First Minister is say, saying, and I wrote it down, she's not trying to evade the reality. Why will she not then just accept that in Scotland our ambulance service is in crisis? We are hearing it day in, day out from people across Scotland. We are hearing it from the front line, from the paramedics, from the technicians. And we are hearing it from Unite the Union. And others. And I'm sorry but I cannot sit here and listen to the First Minister say that the comments from the Scottish Government's Health Secretary are the same we are hearing elsewhere in the United Kingdom. I have heard no one else in the United Kingdom telling people to think twice before they call an ambulance. Because the way to tackle this extreme pressure is not to tell sick people to stay away. It's to give ambulance crews the resources they need to reach every patient while they're still breathing. The health secretary should be providing solutions. Instead, Hamza Youssef is the problem. This summer, he used misleading figures about children with COVID. He wasted months on a flimsy NHS recovery plan that isn't cutting it. And yesterday was a new low. We had a health secretary who effectively told people don't look after your own health he actually said to them think twice before calling an ambulance yeah. Yeah. with Scotland's NHS in crisis isn't it the case that it's Hamza Youssef who needs to think twice before he speaks
2: first minister that people, people watching this will draw their own conclusions from the tone and tenor of some of the remarks that are being made can I Can I stay on the substance of these issues because these are really important issues uh, for people across the country and they have my full attention as they have the health secretary's full attention. Um, Douglas Ross um, is uh, continuing to question me about terminology so let's just be clear this pandemic has created not just in Scotland but across the UK and much of the world uh, crisis conditions for our health services. Uh, That includes the ambulance service which is at the front line of the response of our health service for so many uh, patients who need it. But the point I'm making is that whatever somebody like me chooses to call it is less important than what we do uh, to support our service in meeting these challenges. And I think people listening today will have uh, recognised that there is a range of actions that we are already taking. Uh, So there are almost 300 additional paramedics and technicians Excuse me,
0: sorry, being First, sorry First Minister, just, just a moment. I appreciate this is a very important emotive issue and that people are rightly um, passionate, but could we please hear the First Minister? Thank you.
2: There are a range of actions that have already been taken. Uh, so, as I was uh, saying, presiding officer, almost 300 additional uh, paramedics and technicians mm-hmm. being recruited to help meet the challenge, uh, a whole range of ways in which we are supporting the service. And while uh, in saying this, I am in no way uh, seeking to underplay uh, how unacceptable long waits are for anybody who experiences that. Of course, many uh, people who phone an ambulance, the majority of people who phone an ambulance, uh, get an excellent service from the paramedics and the technicians who are providing that. Uh, We are considering a range of additional actions, and I have set out what some of those are. Uh, The Health Secretary will make a statement uh, next week uh, to update uh, on those. Uh, these are matters. Um, somebody shouting at me, why next week? Because that will be the next parliamentary opportunity to make a statement. I am. Douglas Ross is saying do it now. I am standing here right now setting out the things that we are doing. I, I and the Health Secretary Uh, We'll be dealing with this over the course of today, tomorrow, the weekend, into next week for as long as it takes. So these are the steps that we are taking. We will continue to take these steps as governments right across the UK will be uh, doing similar to support their services. We are in the most challenging set of circumstances that our health service has faced. Uh, My job is to make sure we uh, support the service to rise to those challenges. And that's what I will focus on each and every minute of each and every day. Question number two, Anna Sarwar.
3: officer, the First Minister has evaded this issue for weeks Um, and she tries to hide behind the pandemic but let's look at the stats before the pandemic. Almost a thousand cases where ambulance waited over two hours outside a hospital to transfer patients. Over 15,000 times the ambulance took over two hours to arrive to a patient and a staff survey finding that 63% felt that the ambulance service was short-staffed before the pandemic. Please do not use the pandemic as the cover for your government's (laughs) failures. The truth is, this is an avoidable human tragedy on a heartbreaking scale. Lillian Briggs broke her hip and had to wait eight hours on the floor for an ambulance. Uh, Gerard Brown collapsed at home and died after waiting 40 hours for emergency services. Pandemic or no pandemic, there's a simple truth. No one should be left to die on the floor while waiting 40 hours for an ambulance. 40 hours. Lillian and Gerard's families have been courageous enough to go to the newspapers. But there are hundreds of families who haven't gone to the media who are suffering in silence. So, First Minister, how many hours will it take for you to fix this? First Minister.
2: I accept there were pressures on the ambulance service as there were pressures on uh, the entirety of our health service before this pandemic, Uh, but I I do think anybody who suggests that the pandemic is not a significant contributory factor to what our health service is dealing with right now, I I simply think is stretching uh, credibility. The pandemic has created uh, the most challenging conditions for our National Health Service uh, probably since the National Health Service was created. And that is being felt uh, acutely in Scotland. It is being felt acutely um, in countries across the UK and the rest of the world. Our responsibility is to help the service meet those challenges. I. I'm very clear in my mind it is not acceptable for one person, uh, let alone uh, more than that, to wait anything like the times that some people are experiencing right now. That is why we are taking the actions uh, that we are taking. Uh, There are right now over a thousand people in our hospitals uh, with COVID. Uh, That puts an additional pressure on our hospitals and that feeds through into longer turnaround times for ambulance services and of course the ambulance service is often the frontline response for those who need uh, hospital care for covid or for uh, anything else so that is the reason uh, for what we're experiencing right now Uh, but my job is to provide the solutions that is what we are seeking to do with uh, the ambulance service. And uh, Ana Anna Sarwar's uh, specific question, how many hours we are facing uh, because of the pandemic and all that that creates, we are facing probably the most challenging winter uh, for the health service and for society in any of our lifetimes. And therefore, for me to stand here and say, Uh, In a number of hours, uh, we will uh, do X, Y, or Z. This is going to be a responsibility of government right through this winter to support our ambulance service, to support our accident and emergency departments, to support our wider health and social care services. Every day over uh, this winter period, uh, that will occupy my time, it will occupy the Health Secretary's time, and it will occupy the focus of the entire government. Anna Sarwar.
3: I think the First Minister misses a key point. We are going to have extra pressure added by winter. And if we can't even handle the pressure pre-winter, imagine how hard it's going to be when winter arrives. That's the hard truth that the First Minister is trying to ignore. But let's be clear about this. Our NHS staff, paramedics and call handlers are being failed too. They're the ones having to answer those heartbreaking calls and tell patients there won't be an ambulance coming anytime soon. They're the ones having to turn up to homes to distressing scenes and expected to explain your government's failures. So let's listen to the staff. They're telling us there are not enough ambulances. They're telling us there are not enough staff in the ambulance service or the A&E. They're telling us there are not enough beds in our hospitals. But it's not just patients having to wait hours for an ambulance. They're also having to wait hours outside a hospital in an ambulance. And things are so bad that the British Red Cross has been drafted in to deliver humanitarian assistance at Glasgow's flagship hospital. I know what the First Minister said about the role of the British Army. So will the First Minister listen to calls from ambulance staff and Unite the Union who have called for a major incident to be declared, for pop-up wards and emergency departments, and for the British Army to be drafted in? When will that happen?
2: First Minister. As I said, I think, in my first answer uh, during this session, we are actively considering the detail of a request for targeted military assistance. It is important that we uh, make that request in detail so that we know exactly what it is we are requesting from the military, um, and that is uh, currently uh, being prepared right now. On the issue of uh, the call for a major incident, as I said to to Douglas Ross again, we are getting a bit lost in terminology here. The ambulance service is operating at its highest level of escalation. uh, Because we do not call that, uh, major incident. It's called Level 4 of their escalation, doesn't change the reality. And I would suggest that it is more important that we focus on the substance of what we are doing uh, rather than perhaps have uh, manufactured disagreements uh, over the terminology. On the issue of pop up wards, um, again, I, I think I said. Uh, uh, be corrected if i'm wrong and didn't say this earlier on presiding officer but uh, i referred earlier on to the consideration that again is uh, underway right now uh, around temporary admission wards uh, why pop-up wards may not be appropriate because we're going into a winter period and that may not be the best conditions for patients so we're looking at uh, an equivalent which is temporary admission wards so all of these things uh, that uh, we are being asked about today uh, we are already taking forward uh, this is an incredibly challenging situation, uh, more so uh, for those in the front line. And as I said earlier on, let me repeat uh, my uh, deep gratitude to those who are working on the front line of our National Health Service uh, right now. Uh, but we will continue to take the steps uh, and provide the solutions. Uh, we all know what the problem is. We may have a disagreement about what the cause of that problem is. Uh, my job, working with others, is to find the solutions. And that is what I am going to be focused on for as long as that takes. Anna Sarwar.
3: You don't understand the urgency. You want to wait a week for a statement and then actions to follow that. You want to consider options about what happens with the British Army. How many more Lillian Briggs need to happen in the next week before we take urgent action? How many more Gerard Browns need to happen in the next week before you take urgent action? Urgent action needs to happen today, tomorrow, the day after, the day after. Not wait a week for this government to wake up. So the first minister says she's taking action, but for months her and her health secretary have been in denial. Things are getting worse. People can't afford to wait. And these problems are years in the making. 600,000 people are waiting on waiting lists for treatment. We have record-breaking A&E waiting times, and people are tragically dying waiting for ambulances. The first minister likes to remind us that the buck stops with her. It does. So how many more families will have to suffer? How much more stress will our workers have to endure? And how much more time does she expect people to give her and her health secretary to fix this mess?
2: First Minister, the buck always stops with me, and uh, whatever people agree or disagree with me on, um, I've never tried uh, to shy away from that, and nor will I ever uh, shy away from that. Uh, With the greatest respect to Anna Sarwar, um, you know. Government doesn't uh, simply operate when Parliament is sitting. I'll be going back to my office after the session of First Minister's questions to, for example, finalise uh, the detail of the request for military assistance so that we can submit that uh, as as quickly uh, as possible. Uh, We will be going back to uh, finalise the other additional actions we're taking, which, of course, are in addition to the actions that have already been taken. Uh, Government is literally... Um, a a a 24-hour-a-day responsibility, um, and we will continue to uh, deal with these things uh, in that manner. Uh, I do not shy away at all from how difficult this is. I will not be the only leader uh, of a government uh, right now that is dealing with these issues. Health ministers, uh, governments all across the world are dealing with these challenges right now. Our job is not, though, just to describe the problem. Our job is to provide the solutions. And that's what my government is absolutely focused on doing.
0: Now move to supplementary questions, and I call Jenny Minto.
4: Sorry, apologies, presiding officer. The UK government has now
2: confirmed that it again intends to delay post-Brexit food and farming import checks. Once again, Scotland's vital food and farming sector finds itself paying a price for the Tories' extreme Brexit plans. Does the First Minister share my concern that this last-minute delay highlights that the Tory government has no real solution to the Brexit issues it has created and is just kicking the can down the road once again? First Minister. Um, yes, I, I think that is absolutely correct. Uh, We have been warning about the implications of not just Brexit but a hard Brexit now for months and months and months Um, and just this week of course uh, as the member rightly says we have seen a further delay to the necessary infrastructure, necessary although deeply regrettable uh, infrastructure that needs to be in place to support some of this Uh, and it is of course uh, our food and drink sector, our agriculture sector that are paying the price for this so I very much hope to see uh, the solutions put in place uh, to alleviate uh, the situation as quickly as possible but I don't think anybody should be in any doubt uh, that these sectors are going to be facing uh, the inescapable consequences of Brexit for some time to come and that of course is the responsibility of the Tory government at Westminster
0: Alexander Stewart
2: (laughs) Presiding officer many across my region have participated in Age Scotland's
3: big survey for older people which revealed more than half reporting that the pandemic had made them lonely one-third felt that their mental health had deteriorated, and one-third felt that they were fed to be a burden to society, but a staggering 71% being targeted by phone scammers. First Minister, these figures make grim reading, and they are a reminder of how how marginalised older people feel in our society. Therefore, what further action will the Scottish Government put in place to make sure that these trends are reversed? First Minister.
2: Well, the impact of the pandemic on older people and the impact on loneliness and isolation, I think, is is well understood. Uh, There's a range of different ways in which we need to uh, seek to tackle and address that. Uh, We have one of the things we've done, which uh, I know was narrated, In the Audit Scotland report just this week about Covid spending, we have spent uh, disproportionately, um, compared to other parts of the UK, on support for the charity sector because many of these charitable and third sector organisations provide a lot of the frontline support and we will continue to provide as much support there as possible. Of course, all of us as individuals have a role to play in trying to make sure uh, that we are looking out for and looking after some of the most vulnerable people in our own lives. whether that's family members, friends, neighbours, um, and therefore, particularly as we go into the winter months, I think it's incumbent on all of us as citizens uh, to think about what we're doing to try to alleviate uh, the loneliness and isolation that older people in particular will be feeling. Michael Mara.
3: Thank you, President Officer. In the last 24 hours, Unison members at the University of Dundee informed management that they will take five days of strike action starting in the first week of teaching of the new term. Proposed changes to the university pension scheme will hurt only the lowest paid of staff, disproportionately female workers, and could result in workers losing up to 40 per cent of their pension. Will the First Minister personally intervene to bring parties back to the table to stop these workers being thrown into pensioner poverty and to avoid disruption to the education of a generation of young people who have already lost so much? First minister.
2: Uh, These are obviously matters for uh, universities, uh, which of course are uh, substantially government-funded but independent institutions, but I would strongly encourage uh, them to get round the table uh, with unions uh, and with workers uh, in order to find solutions uh, that do not penalise uh, staff in the ways that have been set out, but also ensure uh, that there isn't disruption to education. So I will uh, unequivocally call on our universities and trade unions to get round the table and find uh, solutions.
0: Ross Greer
3: Thank you presiding officer the Scottish Qualifications Authority yesterday published an update on the arrangements for next year's qualifications and assessments it appears that some kind of provision for direct appeals will be maintained which is welcome does the first minister agree that any appeal provision must be free and we cannot return to the previous system whereby the sqa charged a fee for appeals resulting in them being used disproportionately to the advantage of pupils at private schools versus those in the public sector First Minister.
2: Well, no uh, decisions have yet been taken uh, for the longer term around uh, the appeals system. Obviously, these. Uh, issues will be considered um, in line with some of the broader issues that are being considered around uh, assessment and exams. Uh, But I do agree in principle that it is important that we have an appeal system that is accessible uh, for young people. And this may be one area, and there are many of these areas where changes that have been made, uh, that have been necessitated by the pandemic, uh, are good changes that we should look to uh, keep and to build on. And I'm sure all of these things will be taken into account as uh, decisions are taken for the longer term. Liam
0: MacArthur Thank you. NHS uh, Orkney has written to those engaged with CAMHS in my constituency warning that a lack of capacity will lead to delays in people not being seen over the coming months. Young people are being directed towards local third sector organisations, but there is understandable anxiety about the impact this will have on the mental health of many young people in Orkney. NHS Orkney are in the process of recruiting additional staff, but can I urge the First Minister to engage with NHS Orkney to ensure that gaps are filled in the interim so that young people in Orkney get the support they desperately need?
2: First Minister. Uh, yes, I am happy to undertake that we will engage with NHS Orkney to provide uh, whatever support we can. Uh, Liam McArthur is right to point to the fact that there Uh, is already record numbers of people working uh, in our mental health services uh, and there is uh, recruitment underway across the country but uh, as he says also in NHS Orkney Uh, but it's important that we provide uh, support uh, to fill any interim gaps and therefore I'll undertake uh, to ask the Health Secretary to have that conversation and write to him once he's had the opportunity to do so. Jamie Green
1: Thank you. Uh, Back in 2016, uh, Nicola Sturgeon declared that her government's intervention at Ferguson Marine in Port Glasgow was going to be an incredible triumph. Uh, She said at the time it was living proof of how the SNP stands up for Scottish jobs. In 2019, the Yard was forcibly nationalised, despite much protest and warnings that it would be a complete disaster. First Minister, which bit of welding together Scotland's future ferry fleet in Romania is standing up for Scottish jobs.
0: First
2: Minister. Well, what I would say is that due to this government's interventions at Ferguson's, there are hundreds of people working at Ferguson's today that wouldn't be working at Ferguson's because it wouldn't still be operational had we not intervened in that way. Uh, Ferguson's is on a journey to recovery. It has a way to go uh, in that journey. I think that is itself evident. Its priority is on completing uh, the two ferries currently under construction and of course continuing the work to make sure it is uh, in shape to compete successfully uh, for contracts both domestically and uh, further afield in future. We will continue to support the Yard in that vital work. But Let us be in no doubt, but for the actions this Government has taken, Ferguson's doors would be closed right now and those hundreds
5: of workers there would not have a job. Question number three, Alex Cole-Hamilton. Thank you. To ask the First Minister how the Scottish Government will res- uh, support the Scottish Ambulance Service in coping with reports of unprecedented pressure that is resulting in significant increases to waiting times? First Minister.
2: Um, obviously, the officer, I have uh, covered uh, much of this uh, already in previous answers, but the Ambulance Service, like other areas of the NHS, is under considerable pressure as a result of the unprecedented demand uh, which uh, is caused largely by the impact of the pandemic. Uh, Our ambulance service staff are doing a heroic job uh, delivering emergency health care to the people of Scotland, but some people are, as I have already reflected on, waiting far too long for ambulance services. We are in constant uh, dialogue and engagement with the ambulance service. We have provided additional funding. We have taken a number of actions already, and as I have set out uh, previously today, there are a number of additional actions currently under consideration. Alex Cole-Hamilton.
5: I'm very grateful for that reply. We've heard the stories of Lillian Briggs and Gerard Brown, but they are not alone. I have mentioned Catherine White before. She's a retired nurse of 40 years and given her life to the care of others, but she waited 15 hours for an ambulance last month. Well, she fell again last week. She suffered fractured feet, a fractured pelvis and delirium, yet she waited another eight hours for help. Only when my constituent told operators my mum is dying did the ambulance come after yet another hour. The ambulance service have been failed by this government, just like Lillian and Catherine. This isn't just the pandemic. They simply don't have the resource to prioritise these cases. Calling in the army is evidence of a government that has done too little... Too late. So, can I ask the First Minister what discussions she has had with the service about the integration of the armed for- forces and when she expects them to be deployed? First Minister.
2: Discussions are underway. As I said, we will be finalising uh, the request for military assistance uh, shortly. Um, but that is one of many actions that we are taking. Uh, we are providing additional resources. I think. Uh, Revenue funding resource funding to the ambulance service is at at record levels, I think staffing um, is at higher levels than it has been uh, in previous years and there is further recruitment underway. Uh, There is also because the problems that the ambulance service uh, are facing uh, are to some extent caused by pressures elsewhere in the National Health Service, not least in our Accident and Emergency Departments, so there is also a lot of work uh, being done there uh, to try to alleviate those pressures, so we will continue to take the actions uh, that are necessary to support Uh, those who work in the ambulance service provide uh, the level of service that patients uh, demand and have a right to expect. I have said uh, already today that I don't think it's acceptable for anybody to wait the kinds of uh, periods that are being reported right now. Uh, It is not acceptable, uh, even during pandemic conditions, which is why we are focused on finding the solutions uh, to allow the ambulance service to provide the uh, level of response that they want to and people have a right to expect.
0: Sue Webber. Thank you, presiding officer. What's clear is what the pandemic has done is that it has exposed the weaknesses that were there before. We've heard concerning reports from NHS staff that the Golden Jubilee, Stobhill Hill Hospital and the Royal Hospital for Children are seriously understaffed. Struggling to cope with the volume of patients and treatment at each hospital site is now severely limited. Can the First Minister confirm if any departments have been closed to new patients and if elective surgery has been stopped in any of those hospitals?
2: First Minister, for- the decisions to pause uh, temporarily elective surgery to enable them to deal uh, with emergency services. Again, that is not something that is simply happening in Scotland. Uh, We are seeing that happen in parts of the health service across the UK because of the the pressure of COVID. And we will continue to support the health service to take the decisions that they consider are appropriate to provide uh, care to people who need it. But be under uh, no doubt uh, our objective is to get the health service operating uh, again in a way that it can deal with uh, the pressures of COVID uh, without that having an impact um, on non-COVID and uh, elective services. That's what the recovery plan is focused on, and we'll continue to support uh, the health service to do that. But at the heart of this, of course, um, is the imperative to get COVID cases down uh, so that as that pressure reduces, the health service can get more and more back to normal. And that brings us back to the central messages to everybody about all of the uh, mitigations that we all have to follow to make sure we keep COVID cases on a downward track.
3: Paul O'Kane. Between 2016, 17 and 2019, 20 over 11,000 ambulances were sent out with a single crew member, an increase of nearly 39%. When the First Minister was health secretary, she said that she would take action to eliminate rostered single manning and that ambulances should be double crewed with at least one member of being a paramedic unless in exceptional circumstances. Those are her words. In the midst of this crisis in their ambulance service, will the First Minister tell the Chamber how many ambulances have been single crewed since the start of the pandemic and why her government has failed to eliminate the practice as she pledged 13 years ago? First Minister
2: Um, I don't have that information in front of me I will undertake to provide uh, that information but we uh, did uh, effectively eliminate uh, single crewing um, and because when I became health secretary it was at unacceptably high levels uh, and therefore it is the case that uh, ambulances are single crewed only in exceptional circumstances during a global pandemic uh, we will face exceptional circumstances literally on a daily basis Uh, but uh, the routine rostered single crewing uh, that was endemic under previous administrations, was dealt with by this administration, and we will continue uh, to make that a priority as we come out of and recover from the pandemic. Question
0: number four, Bill Kidd. Thank you, President Officer. To ask the First Minister whether she'll provide an update on the preparations for COP26...
2: First Minister. We're working closely with a range of partners to deliver a safe and successful COP26 uh, reviews into Police Scotland's preparations, including a recent uh, report from Her Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabulary, uh, offered a high degree of assurance around the ability to balance business as usual policing with COP26 operations. Uh, The transport demand strategy is in place uh, and the COVID adaptation plan developed by Chief Medical Officers from the Scottish and UK governments will be published uh, shortly. I uh, had a, a meeting uh, yesterday with the United Nations Executive Director on Climate Change to consider some of the broader uh, issues around the COP26 negotiations. Bill Kidd. Uh,
0: thank you, First Minister. <clears throat> the Conference for Youth has always been funded by the Government of the UN Member State hosting COP. So can I ask the First Minister what discussions she's had with the UK Government regarding their decision not to fund the conference? And can I put on record my thanks that the Scottish Government has stepped in to ensure that the voices of young people who have been so important in pushing for change aren't lost? First Minister.
2: um, I don't... I don't know why the UK government has decided not to fund the Conference of Youth. I do understand that's the first time the, the host nation has, has not done so, uh, but I'm not particularly interested in the reasons for that. I think it's important that the voice of youth is heard. Uh, therefore, I was pleased to confirm that the Scottish government will fund the Conference of Youth, which brings young people from, I think, 140 uh, countries together uh, in the days leading up to COP uh, to formulate and then present uh, their demands to world leaders. And It will be a good opportunity for young people across Scotland to take part in that, and it will ensure that the voice of children and young people is heard loudly and clearly during uh, the COP discussions.
6: Question number five, Tess White. Thank you, Presiding Officer. To ask the First Minister what action the Scottish Government is taking to prevent cyber attacks on public bodies. First Minister.
2: Uh, we work closely with public sector bodies to raise the baseline standard of cyber security in line with guidance from the UK National Cyber Security Centre. A dedicated policy team together with a range of partners are delivering the strategic framework for a cyber resilient Scotland across public, private and third sectors to further build our cyber security and resilience capabilities. Uh, the government shares cyber threat intelligence, including those during real-time incidents, as part of its early warning process. It provides regular training, advice and support to the public sector encouraging regular exercising and cyber incident response planning.
6: Tess White. First Minister, Audit Scotland has warned that cybercrime is a serious risk to Scotland's public sector with 27 separate attacks recorded since 2017. Given the considerable cost to the public purse of the ransomware attack on the Scottish environment Protection Agency in December 2020, as well as the ongoing impact on its operations, is the Scottish Government satisfied that public bodies have achieved the standards set out in the Scottish Public Sector Cyber Resilience Framework? First Minister.
2: Well... Uh, can I firstly thank Audit Scotland for the work it has done here, though with the greatest respect to Audit Scotland, um, I don't think uh, any uh, government is under uh, any illusion about the threat of cyber attacks uh, in our countries, uh, to the public sector, the private sector, and indeed to governments uh, themselves. It's a risk that we take extremely seriously. There have been some very significant cyber attacks um, happening to public sector organisations in Scotland, SIPA obviously being uh, a case in point. Um, the question which I think is a reasonable question, uh, are we satisfied that the public uh, sector organisations are taking all of the appropriate steps? We are working with them to ensure that is the case. I, I think I would hesitate uh, and I, I think probably every government should hesitate uh, to sound as if they are complacent about this because it is a real and present and ever-changing and evolving risks. So we must make sure that, on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, we are providing the protections and supporting the public sector to do likewise. And we will continue to do that.
0: Christine Graham. Sorry, for saying officer, I thought we were going to finish.
6: A uh, first minister fair work joint statement on COVID agreed between the Scottish government and organisations such as COSLA, STUC, and Institute of Directors. Sorry,
0: sorry, Miss Graham. Um, yeah, I, I think there's been a slight understanding. I'm taking supplementaries on these specific questions as we go along, but there Oh, may be no, no, it wasn't to that. Later. No, I thought
6: we were into generals. Oh, there
0: Thank go. you. Thank you very much. Um, in that case, we'll move on to question number six,
4: Pauline McNeill. Thank you, Presiding officer. To ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's response is to analysis by Her Majesty's Inspectorate of Prosecution in Scotland, suggesting that the Crown Office is masking the time taken to decide on criminal prosecutions...
0: Minister.
2: The report from Her Majesty's Inspector of Prosecutions is an inspection of the management by the Crown Office and Procurator Fiscal Service of criminal allegations against the police. The report rightly recognised that the public should be reassured by the robust scrutiny which is applied by prosecutors to on-duty criminal allegations against the police. The report noted a historic practice of freezing targets, while further information was awaited from an investigating agency. That practice ceased in April this year, meaning it will not have an impact on target performance in this reporting year. It was an administrative exercise having no impact on the investigation or outcome of any cases. Uh, The Lord Advocate—and, of course, this is entirely a matter for the Lord Advocate, is carefully considering all recommendations in the report and will make changes where appropriate to implement them. Pauline McNeill.
4: I thank the First Minister for the answer, and she acknowledged that the practice only ended in April 2021, because the analysis from the watchdog, the Inspectorate of Prosecutions in Scotland, revealed significant concerns that the Crown Office's criminal investigations against the Police Division had been setting cases to show it was meeting targets for investigation and prosecution by freezing cases and ignoring the time taken when it was frozen. In another analysis by the watchdog last year, the resetting of key target dates also led to unacceptable delays in progressing sexual crime cases, which it said masked the true journey time of these cases. Uh, So as a seriously concerning practice to find this out, And it does obviously look as if the Crown Office are trying to make the performance look better than it actually was. So I think it's a serious matter. I just asked the First Minister if she would join or agree with me that there must be no return to such a practice and that transparency is vital in our Crown Office and Prosecution Service to ensure public confidence. First Minister.
2: Uh, yes, I do agree with that. and I'm sure the Lord Advocate, uh, where she here, would uh, fully agree with that as well. Uh, as I said in my original answer, this was an administrative practice. Uh, I, you know, I'm assured that it had no impact on the investigation or outcome of cases. Uh, often at the Crown Office, in cases like this, but in cases generally, will require to have information from other investigating agencies. That might be sometimes the the health and safety executive, for example, and that has an impact on its ability to uh, pursue cases. But I think Polly McNeill is right in terms of what she says about transparency. These are matters for the Lord Advocate. I know uh, she will be considering uh, the report carefully, um, and I'm uh, certainly uh, willing to ask her to write uh, to Polly McNeill with more detail uh, of the action in due course that she intends to take in light of this report.
0: Thank you. That concludes First Minister's questions. We will now move on to members' business, and I ask members to leave the chamber quietly. Thank you.